All right. So today we're going to get back into the word. If you would open up your Bible to John chapter three. Um, I just want you to know my biceps are getting bigger um, from reading this huge Bible right here that I that I bought just for this series. Um, it's massive. It's got the giant print. I've had some of you come up to me and you said, I want to see how giant that print is. And then you'll look at it and you'll be like, you are blind. And, um, and that's true. That's true. I see, I see, uh, one of my buddies, Jack, uh, is in the crowd today, Jack Spink. And he and I were working out the other day and he said, Gabriel, I had a dream about you. And I was like, okay. He said, you were preaching. He said, and you had a hair, a head full of hair. And I said, lay hands on me, brother. Let's do this right now. No, um, it didn't work, Jack. Your dream didn't come true. Um, another week, another bald head. Uh, but today we're going to get into John chapter 3. So I'm going to try something. Now, look, I told you guys from the beginning, some of this, the way we're preaching this series is different for me, okay? It, it, me personally, um, it, it's a challenge for me to preach the way I'm trying to preach. Um, it's a little bit outside of my norm. And so today, instead of just going through verse by verse, I want to give you a couple of highlights from chapter 3. Some of you have read beforehand. I, um, I got a phone call yesterday. Terry Crocker called and said, hey, I'm reading John chapter 3 right now and, um, and, and started telling me some stuff. Um, and, and so there's, there's, a, there's some things in here that don't have anything to do with our message today, but I'm going to just give you some highlights. Um, chap, in chapter 3, verse 1, um, the Bible says there's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So just in some highlights to let you know, this is the first time we meet this guy named Nicodemus. We'll, we'll see Nicodemus show up two other times in the Bible. He's only mentioned three times in, in the New Testament, um, but he's a pretty cool character as far as I'm concerned. Um, I like Nicodemus a lot. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, in those days, there were, there were a couple of different religious groups, okay? You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the, the, the Pharisees, they believed in the spiritual. They believed in angels and demons. They believed in heaven and hell. Um, they believed in, in resurrection. Like the, the Pharisees believed in all the spiritual things. Be very similar to a lot of us. They believe that side. They're more conservative. The problem with the Pharisees is the Pharisees not only believed in God's word, but they also believed strongly in the traditions of men. And so they had all these, the law, but then they had all these other traditions that they bought into. And they, they lived out those traditions as though they were God's word and they weren't. And Jesus will call them out on it later on in the book. And then you got the Sadducees. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe. How oh, you like that? That was a Sunday school joke. Some of you got it. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They believed when you die, the soul just burns up and is gone. They didn't believe in miracles. Um, and the Sadducees, they leaned more towards trying to make the Romans happy. All right. And so you've got these two different political groups. Um, but in those days in, in Jerusalem or in, in Israel, not only were they political, they were religious. See, there, everything kind of tied together. You were born a Jew, which was your nationality, but it was also your religion. So religion, politics, and life were all kind of mixed in together. And so that's how these guys viewed. And then you had another group called the scribes. And the scribes, and you'll hear all these coming out later. You won't hear about them today. Today's just a Pharisee. But the scribes were people that would would transcribe the Bible. So they would take the Old Testament, they would take the Torah, and they would write it out and make copies of it. And therefore, they understood a lot of it, right? They knew God's word and were kind of leaned on as like lawyers, spiritual lawyers of their day. So, so you've got three different groups of people. Nicodemus belongs in the more conservative group, the Pharisees. The other thing that we see here is in verse 2. Um, it says, After dark one evening... He came to speak to Jesus. And so just a neat little note, this whole conversation we're about to read in, in John chapter three has the most famous verse in the Bible. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right. That's the only one I can quote. Um, but this most famous verse, we read that sometimes and we put it on a um, on a coffee mug or you see it at a football game, but you don't realize the context of it. The context, Jesus is saying that in a conversation with this spiritual, this religious leader under the cover of night. Now, there's two different views why he was there at night. Some people view he may have just been there at night because it was a secret. He didn't want anybody to know that he was meeting with Jesus. 
because he thought he might get kicked out of the Sanhedrin, which is the overarching group, kind of like the Senate, where these two political parties operated. He thought he might get kicked out of there. That's what some people think. Some people think, though, he may have just been going there at night because he knew Jesus would be by himself. Because every time during the day we see Jesus, he is surrounded by crowds of people. Sometimes it was a house full. Sometimes it was a field full, right? So, so sometimes it was hundreds packed into a small house. Sometimes it was thousands. And so some people feel like maybe Nicodemus showed up just so he could have some alone time, some one-on-one time with Jesus. Either way, he's meeting with him under the cover of night. Another, another verse that we'll look at is verse 23. This is skipping over. This part is talking about John the Baptist. So if you've read this already, you'll read this. Um, for those of you that maybe believe in baptism by sprinkling, and some of you believe in baptism by immersion, if you believe in baptism by immersion, being dunked under the water, this is your verse right here. Verse 23 says this. It says that they were uh, baptizing at a certain place, Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there. So people that believe in baptism by immersion, we typically go back to this as proof because there was plenty of water. You don't have to have plenty of water to sprinkle somebody. All you got to do is have a little bit of water, right? But you got to have a lot of water if you want to dunk people under the water. And some of you guys are tall. It would take a lot of water for you. There's a few of you. It wouldn't take much water at all, just a cup full or two, and we put you under. And then verse 24 is another one. Um, This is just a spoiler alert. This ruins our story. Uh, I don't know why John did this so early, but it says that John the Baptist is going to end up going to jail. So we just know, hey, guess what? John the Baptist, he's not going to make it too far in this book. And then the last little piece, and I don't have the scriptures on here on purpose, but verses 31 through 36, as we read through that um, today, we're going to kind of hit Verse 30, uh, verse 30 is kind of going to be towards the end of, of the message for today. But 31 through 36 is some really good stuff. I just found this out like literally uh, just today when I was just listening to something. I thought, oh, I never saw this. And, and so I thought, I'll throw this in the notes real quick. But some people believe that 31 through 36 is not John the Baptist speaking. So, so throughout, like starting at verse 22, we start reading about John the Baptist And John the Baptist starts talking, and we're going to use some of John the Baptist's words in the message today. But some people believe that starting at verse 31, it reverts back to John the writer, and that he's putting his own words in there. And they said, you can tell by the style of writing that something has shifted. So nothing super special, but I just thought very interesting, very interesting. So let's get into the word today. Uh, Before we we jump completely into the word, i got a story I want to tell you. There's a guy named... Jose Salvador Alvarenga. Anybody ever heard of Jose Salvador Alvarenga? There, well, I was going to tell you there's this picture right behind me. His picture is going to pop up right behind me any second now. And, and Jose is a very interesting person. This is Jose today. This is how Jose was. I kind of lean towards the how Jose was. I kind of like his beard. Pretty good beard. Um, but let me tell you how he got that beard. Jose was a fisherman in El Salvador, and one day, Jose decides he's going to go out and make some money by fishing. And so whenever he goes to set out to go fishing, his partner, who normally helped him as a fisherman, got sick or couldn't show up. I can't remember why, but his partner bailed on him last minute. Jose finds this young guy and says, hey, you want to go fishing? Jose didn't know the young guy, grabs him, they jump on the boat together, and they set off. When they set off to go fishing, they had all kinds of stuff on the boat. They had plenty of hooks and plenty of lines. They had 200 pounds worth of ice. They had gasoline. Um, They had all this stuff. They had tools. They had all this stuff to go fishing that they might need while they're out on the water. The problem is a storm hit. And when the storm hit, it it pushed them way off course and they couldn't quite get back around where they were supposed to be. And so the guy gets on the radio and he begins to call in. Jose calls in. He says, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm stuck out here and and, and we need some help. And the person on the other side of the line was his boss. And the guy says, well, where are you? Send me your coordinates. And that's when Jose picked up his GPS only to realize he had grabbed a GPS that was not waterproof. The GPS was dead. About that time, his engine died. And even though he had tools, he couldn't fix the engine. So he's got a dead engine. He's got tools that can't fix it. He's got a a GPS that doesn't work. And as he's calling for help, trying to explain to the guy what he needs to do, and the guy on the other side says, well, drop an anchor. And he says, I didn't bring an anchor. 
I didn't think we were going to be out this long. And about that time, the, guess what happens? The radio dies because he didn't check the batteries and it was only half full and the radio died. The batteries died on the radio. So now my man Jose and this other dude that he doesn't even really know, they're out in the middle of the ocean, no engine, no GPS, no radio, a bunch of tools they can't use apparently. So the story goes that he picks up a club that he normally used to beat fish and was so mad he beat the engine until they absolutely couldn't fix it anyway. How many of y'all have ever been there working on the engine? Yes. There's been plenty of times I just feel like if I just hit it with a hammer, either it'll break or it'll fix. But some, for some reason, hitting it with a hammer feels good, right? And, and so he's stuck out there in the ocean. These guys stay out in the ocean. Jose didn't get rescued, not for another month, not for another two months, but for 14 months, Jose lived in a little boat the size of two pickup trucks back to back. That was how big the boat was. Matter of fact, they had over 1,100 pounds of fish that they had caught. And because they were in the storm and they were afraid that, that all the weight was going to sink them, they dumped all the fish they had caught overboard. Then they had 200 pounds of ice, which would have been fresh water that would have saved them. But instead, they dumped all the ice overboard. And then they started living in the ice chest. They had this huge ice chest and they'd flip it over and they'd get underneath it because their boat didn't have a top on it. It was just a wide open boat. It was, it was more like a glorified canoe. And they're just out there like this. Eventually, they started catching fish with their hands. Jose would stick his hands in the water and somehow catch fish. I don't know how he did that. They, they ate raw fish. They ate raw sea turtles. And they even ate raw birds that they would catch from time to time. I don't know about you. Last time I checked, if I cook chicken and it's not 100% cooked, I'm throwing that sucker out. These jokers are eating raw air birds and, and seagulls are just like rats with wings. Seagulls will eat anything, right? And so they're eating these raw seagulls and eventually the, the guy, I can't remember his name, he ends up dying and Jose stays in the boat with the dead man for six days. Because he was lonely and he'd wake up and talk to the dead body and, and just, you know, have conversations with him and then realize, hey, I probably shouldn't do that and dumped him overboard and let him float off to, to wherever. Eventually, eventually, after uh, 14 months, it was 438 days, eventually he floated up on the Marshall Islands, which, which was like way far away from El Salvador almost to Australia, closer to Australia than he was to El Salvador. Let me put it that way. None of that makes any difference to any of us in the room right now. He floats up, naked, sunburned, hairy, and just falls on the ground, can barely walk, and just crying, and people came and found him. And he thought he was hallucinating, so he almost tried to fight the people. And they eventually got him rescued, and, and he survived. Amazing story. Amazing story. And that brings us to today. What, what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Um, there, in this story, we're going to read the story of Nicodemus. And in chapter 3 and chapter 4, next week my dad will be preaching chapter 4. And one of the things we notice is that the Bible says that Jesus' goal, his purpose, is to seek and save the lost. And what I've found is in our church in our community, in our nation, there's two kinds of lost people. There tends to be two kinds of lost people. Some people are just lost in sin. We'll see that next week. Next week, we meet the adulterous woman. We meet the woman that, was, uh, that, that had five husbands, and the one she's with now is not her husband. She, we read about her next week, and she's just lost in her sin. Kind of like someone that was just floating on the water, just treading water, trying to find something. But this week, we're going to read about Nicodemus. And I feel like Nicodemus is somebody that we can probably relate to as Americans. Maybe not you in particular, but I feel like a lot of Americans can relate to Nicodemus. Because he, he was lost. The problem is, he was lost in his religion. He had a boat, but it was dead. He had a GPS, but it didn't work. 
And, and, and that's where we find ourselves a lot, is we find a lot of Americans that wake up in the morning and they think, well, I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, and therefore I'm a Christian. And, and, and we're lost in this religion of if I do right, if I go to church, if I do a few things, then everything's going to be okay. And so Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but not every lost person is floating in the ocean. Some of them are in a boat that's just dead. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dead religion, not in a relationship. In a couple of weeks, my, my family is going to go on a cruise. So the first time we've ever taken our kids on a cruise before. And uh, Perry and I were so excited. I mean, like, I love to go on a cruise. Um, you get to eat whatever you want to eat anytime you want to eat it. And I've been starving myself for two months, and I'm ready to eat, man. I'm hungry. I'm working on that hunger. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so I'm excited about this cruise. Uh, I get to rest. My cell phone won't work on the cruise. I love it. I won't get an email. I won't get a text message. I, I won't know if this place burns down or not. I hope I'll come back to it, but we'll see what happens. And, and so, so I'm going to be on this cruise. And I tell my kids, I'm like, guys, you're going to love this. We're going on a cruise. I said, your phones won't even work. And, and immediately, they act like I'd slapped them in the face. They're like, wait, our phones won't work? How are we going to call our friends? Like all G2, my oldest son could think was, Dad, I got to have my, I got to have my phone working. I'm like, no, 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 you don't need your phone. You need to detox anyway. No, no, no. I, I don't want to go on this cruise. Do I have to go on this cruise? And now it's a punishment that I'm taking him on a cruise. I told Colt the same thing. And, and Colt said, is there going to be Wi-Fi? I said, well, I mean, you got to pay extra for Wi-Fi. And I'm not paying, I'm already paying for the cruise. That's enough, you know? And he goes, so, so. So like my Nintendo won't work on the cruise. I'm like, we're not taking your Nintendo. And so now my kids think they're being punished. They're being, they're being hurt by me taking them on a cruise. So we're trying to tell them all the fun stuff. I'm like, there's food. That's the only fun thing I care about. There's food, there's slides, there's pools, there's all kinds of cool things. And I said, but there's one thing about the cruise that nobody likes. And it's called the muster station. And they were like, mustard? I'm like, no, not mustard muster. And I said, right at the beginning of the cruise, they take you to this place and it's hot and you're sweaty and there's no AC in this first part. And you're standing there with a group of people and they pack you in with like 150 people in one little box. And there's little boxes all around the cruise ship and you're standing there and they call it the muster station. And it's at the muster station that they get you together and they tell you about what's going to happen if the cruise boat sinks. Let's go on a cruise. Here's the movie Titanic. You know, it's like, what in the world are you doing to these people? That's the first thing we learn. And so you're standing there and they tell you about the lifeboats and how to get on the lifeboats and where your life jackets are and all this kind of stuff. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the message today. And I was thinking about how the, the word muster means to gather people together. And when Jesus came to earth, his purpose was to gather us together, to muster all of the people. And do what? To teach us how to be saved from a sinking ship. Now, my man, Jose, he, didn't, he should have gone to the muster station, right? He should have gone. To, he didn't go to the muster station. He almost drowned. But Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, to teach us how to be saved. And so in today's message, I'm calling it, if you want to put a title of your, as you're taking notes, the four musts of following Christ. The four musts of following Christ. There are four places in chapter 3 where the Bible says must. And the word must is important. It's important because must doesn't mean should, and must doesn't mean maybe. Must means you do it. These are four things you got to do. And so I want to look through the scriptures today. The first must today is you must be born again. John chapter 3, uh, let's look at verses 3 through 8. It says, uh, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back to his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, here it is, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind and can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. A couple of things I want to get into real quick. When he's talking to Nicodemus, I'm going to go ahead and say this. It's a little bit of a shock to Nicodemus's system, in my opinion. This is, the Bible doesn't say this, this is my opinion. Because and at that time, the Jews, again, remember what I said, you were born into Judaism. You didn't, you didn't accept Judaism, you were born into Judaism. And with that comes a level of, uh, a, a level of, 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 of feeling above everybody else in the sense of, I was born into this. And Jesus says, I don't care how you were born, you got to be born again. Now, if you're talking to your friends today, if you're trying to be a witness to someone, a common theme that I hear is people say, yeah, but I was born this way. I can't help how I act. I can't help what I do because I was born like this. And that's where we come back to the first must. And the first must is you must be born again. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, you, you know how I am. I just say what I think. I just, and, they, and they're negative and they, they, they say things that are, that are terrible to people and they gossip. You know, I just, you know, I just can't help. I was just born that my mama was this way and my grandmama was this way. And people talk about, you know, all the, the, the divorce in their family and, and how they just can't settle in on one woman because, well, you know how my daddy was. And, you know, and, and they feel like they were just born with this instinct to cheat or this instinct to gossip or this instinct to do whatever it is. And Jesus says, it's fine. Be born however you want to be born. As long as you understand to get to heaven, you got to be born again. Everything has to change. We told you that John's gospel is all about transformation. We're going to see that in the life of Nicodemus. You'll see Nicodemus transformed throughout the gospel of John. And so it's all about transformation. You must be born again. And a couple of things he says here that I always have questions about. He says, unless you're born of water and of spirit. There's a couple of different views on that. One of the views is born of water means you got to be baptized. Born of spirit means you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the whole baptism thing probably is not. It, that's probably not how it should be translated or how it should be viewed. Only because if that were the case, uh, then Jesus would have gone around baptizing everybody. And we do see him baptized in this chapter, but he would have baptized every single person he ever met, right? And, and he doesn't do that. The disciples don't do that. As a matter of fact, later on in the Bible, I think it's Paul says, I wasn't sent to baptize. I was sent to preach the gospel. And, and so while baptism is important and baptism is good, um, that's not, I don't think what that means. Also, Nicodemus wouldn't have understood the, the idea of baptism in the same way we do as Christians, because he wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. Uh, some people think that, that water there means uh, that, that physical birth. And that might be true, too. Uh, I think we all have to be born in order to be born again. That makes sense. Uh, I don't know that that's what Jesus was talking about. I don't think Jesus would say something quite that uh, literal. I think what he's talking about is an illusion, uh, an illustration back to Ezekiel chapter 36. And he's talking to a Jewish religious leader. The Bible says, I don't know if I'll put this in my, in when, I don't know if I'll read this or not, but he calls Nicodemus the teacher, the teacher of the law, right? Whenever, or the teacher of Israel. Whenever he said, he didn't say a teacher, he said the teacher. Therefore, he's showing that, that Nicodemus is highly regarded as like a major dude, right? He's a big wig. He is the teacher. Whenever he says that, now, all of a sudden, you're going to see Jesus revert back to some Old Testament stuff. He's going to reach back in the Old Testament and bring some illustrations in. And I think that's what he's doing when he says born of water and of spirit. Because in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27, here's what the promise is from God in the Old Testament about what he's going to do in the New Testament. He says, for I will gather you, I will muster you. There's that word again. I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. 
Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This is a new thing for the New Testament. I mean, for the Old Testament. When God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, that's brand new stuff. In the Old Testament, we'll get into this later. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain things, for certain moments. It would say, the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit rushed upon David, and then he went and did something awesome. But then the Holy Spirit didn't stay with David permanently. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the New Testament will, will live and dwell in the believers forever. So this is some new stuff. So I think here what he's saying is it doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter uh, what church you go to. It doesn't matter that you were born in Alabama where everybody's a Christian. It doesn't matter that you were born into this church. We got about 30 babies been born in this church in the last six weeks. It feels like, but last couple of years, right? It doesn't matter that you were born into church. It matters that you're born again. I had to face this issue as a kid growing up. I grew up in the church. My parents were pastors and missionaries. And, and as I was growing up, people would say, well, you know, they would write in their Bible the day they got saved. You know, I got saved on March 23rd. Blah, blah, and, and they say, Gabriel, when did you get saved? And I said, I, I don't know. I think I was born that way. I'm just, just, I've just always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus. I don't have the, the one moment. And I would, I would start manufacturing stuff. Well, I remember that one time that puppet told me I need to worship God. And I said, okay, puppet, you know, and, and so I, I just had this osmosis kind of salvation experience. And listen, there came a point in my life when I had to make a decision. It doesn't matter how I was born. It matters that I'm born again. Y'all like that puppet. All the old school church people are like, yeah, I remember that puppet. That puppet talked to me too. The second must is this. It's found in John, it's all found in John 3. I'm so dumb. I'm only preaching one chapter. It's found in verse, four, starting in verse 14. It's, the second must is this, must be lifted up. Now, you and I must be born again. But in order for us to be born again, Jesus has to be lifted up. I'll explain. Here, let's, let's just read the word. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Let, let me just pause there. Because right off the bat, that's weird. Show me the picture, Kim. Let's see Moses and the bronze snake. So this is Moses. Moses looks very concerned and very old. Um, I like this guy over here on the ground. He's getting bit by a snake right now. Like right now he's being bit by a snake. You see the tail coming out and it's biting him in the rear end apparently. And uh, we got a little kid back there about to get bit. There's a story in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21, the Bible says the people were disobedient. They were grumbling against God. And God said, I had enough of this. And all of a sudden a bunch of poisonous snakes get loose in the camp of the Israelites. And when those snakes get loose in the camp of the Israelites, they begin to bite people and people begin to get sick and they begin to die. And the people cry out to Moses, uh, not to God, which they would have. They cry out to Moses, Moses, you got to help us out here. We're all getting bit by these snakes. And Moses calls to God and God says, listen, I will, I will forgive and I will relent, but here's what you got to do. I want you to make a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole, put it on a stick and hold it up and anybody that looks at the snake, and, and the Bible literally says in Numbers 21, it says all they have to do is simply look at the snake and they'll be healed. Very interesting story, very weird story. As a matter of fact, later on, the, the Israelites end up worshiping the snake. Super weird story. And then Jesus starts talking about himself. Jesus says, you must be born again and I must be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the snake. And you're thinking, yeah, but Gabriel, snakes, that's Satan, right? Snakes are the devil. How could Jesus be the snake? Snake doesn't necessarily mean devil. Snake represents sin. And in the Old Testament, bronze, the metal bronze represented judgment. 
So what did Jesus do for you and I on the cross? He represented our sin being judged on the cross. In other words, you and I can't fix ourselves. I, I, I got to be born again. Yes, I've got to be born again. How am I going to be born again? How am I going to get rid of all this sin? How am I going to get rid of this past that I've had, that, that, that all this bad things that I've done? How do I get rid of it? I can't get rid of it on my own. Oprah's not going to help me. Uh, Joel Osteen's not going to help me. And, and, and they're very positive people, and that's really good. The only way, the only person that's going to help me is if I look at the snake, the bronze snake on the pole. Jesus represents that. Jesus is on the, on the cross. He is our sin being judged in that moment. I wasn't trying to be mean to Joel Osteen. I'm sure someone will show him the clip. But what happens is we, we put it on a preacher or someone positive, or, and we think if I can just start doing the right things, if I can do the right things, it's not about doing the right things. It's about looking at the right thing. It's about believing the right thing. The, the Bible goes on in verse 16. It says, for this is how God loved the world. And, and I love that. Sometimes I think we miss that in John three sixteen, that the motivation for Jesus to die on the cross, the motivation for Jesus to tell us that we must be born again is not because he doesn't like us. It's not because he doesn't like our past. It's because he loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay in our past. He loves us so much that he wants us to be transformed and changed. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever uh, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this is interesting. Verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Because this is going to help us in our being born again. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that, what they're, do, that they're doing what God wants. A couple of quick little things on there. I want you to notice where judgment comes into play. Judgment does not come into play because you drink too much. Judgment does not come into play because you do drugs. Judgment does not come into play because you're homosexual. Judgment does not come into play because you have sex outside of the marriage covenant. Judgment does not come into play because you're a gossip or you cheat or um, you gamble. I, I don't know. Just make up your sin. Make up your sin. Here's the thing. If judgment was just about those specific sins, then how could we ever not be judged, right? What does judgment come into play for? First and foremost, because they did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus. And it says, when you don't believe in Jesus, you don't want to step into the light. You want to hide and stay in the darkness, where all those things are. But it says, whenever you do believe in Jesus, it says you do want to step into the light. And I love that, where everybody can see what's going on. Now, we think sometimes, or I think sometimes, oh, if I step into the light, it's because when I step into the light, it's like, oh, you know, the big spotlight on me, and I'm wonderful, and I'm glorious, and I'm holy. But really, stepping into the light is just exposing what's in my life. So, so one of the big parts of being born again is, yes, I must be born again. I look to Christ. I believe in Christ. And how do you know I believe in Christ? You know I believe in Christ because I'm willing to expose my own sin. I'm willing to go to God and say, God, or go to, go to whoever's on the prayer team, or go to my best friend, or, or go to my spouse and say, here are the things that are in my life that are wrong. I'm willing to expose them and repent and confess. Billy Graham one time uh, had some people come to his house, and they were going to put him on TV, and they were going to talk about stuff, and his wife got really uh, antsy, kind of like my wife would do, and she went through the house and just cleaned. I mean, clean, clean, clean. And, and the story goes that they were going to meet in the living room, and so she wiped down the living room from floor to ceiling. I mean, she scrubbed the living room so it would be perfect for the news crew to come in. And when they came in, and they set up the lights, and I don't know if you've ever been on TV or not, but the lights from a TV crew are very different than these lights in here. 
And as soon as they clicked on those lights, Billy Graham said, you saw every cobweb that she missed, every flake of dust that she didn't dust. And she was mortified. She was mortified. What happened? The light exposes what's hidden. And as a Christian, how do I become born again? I have to look to Christ only. I can't save myself. And I learned to step into the light. At our church, one of the things we teach is we teach the idea of confess and repent. It's not a, it's not a, a thing where you, you have to confess to me and we go sit privately and confess to me only. But we, we teach this openness about our sin. Understanding that we've all sinned. We all fall short. And listen, there are some things that creep up in my life from time and time and again. There's some cobwebs that get in my living room every so often. And you know what I got to do? I got to talk to somebody about that. I got to tell somebody. I got to expose that. There's, a, there's an old saying. Uh, this guy, Thompson, uh, Thomas Watson, said this. A child of God will confess sin in particular. An unsound Christian will confess sin by wholesale. He will acknowledge that he's a sinner in general. In other words, it's very easy for any of us to say, I'm a sinner. Okay, yeah, we're all sinners. That's easy. Every one of you can say that. But if I were to say right now, how many of you lied this week and you didn't, you didn't confess that and you didn't repent over it? Raise your hand, right? Not many of us would want to raise my hand. Maddie, did you raise your hand? Um, don't, that's a bad time to scratch your head right there. <laughs> How many of y'all sinned this week? Maddie's like, uh, oh, no, me, maybe. Nobody wants to confess the individual sins. I've told you this story before. I, I prayed with a young man in the altar one time at another church, and, and, and I was preaching a message just on repentance. That's all we were talking about. And I was talking about how there's freedom in repentance. There's freedom in confessing and getting that stuff off. The Bible says in the Old Testament, David speaking, he said, when I didn't confess my sin, I groaned and I felt like, like, like my bones were being eaten away. And, and so there's freedom in that. And this boy came down and, and uh, I could probably tell what his, what his issue was. And, and we were talking a little bit. And I said, well, just tell me, man. Let's, like, you don't even really know me. I'm going to leave and go back to my hometown. This is a perfect opportunity for you just to confess. Just get it. Just get it out. And he said, okay, here it is. I'm a sinner. I said, no, no, no. I got that part. I got that. I knew you were a sinner when you walked down the aisle, buddy. I saw it all over your face because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We get that part. What sin do you want to get off your chest? And he goes, I'm just a really, I'm just a bad sinner. And I said, pal, let me tell you something. I'm going to pray with you. But until you learn to step into the light and expose some junk in your life, you're not going to have freedom. And that's where, that's where the Bible tells us right here. I, I love the fact that, that, that John focuses so much, or Jesus focuses so much on belief and then stepping into the light and how important that is for us. I'm not saying you've got to get up in front of the church and, and let's have a confession time, okay? Like my dad always says, confession's good for the soul and bad for the reputation. We don't need to hear all your stuff here in front of the church. But it's good for you to find a friend that you trust, a pastor, an elder, Somebody that you can go to and just get that stuff out of your life. There's a story, a guy named D.L. Moody. Uh, if I got time, I don't have much left. Let me just get the story in real quick because I think it's funny. There's this guy named D.L. Moody, and he was like, like before Billy Graham, it was D.L. Moody. Like he was the guy, the preacher before Billy Graham that was like filling up, you know, churches and, and places. And, and so there, there was this one time D.L. Moody was preaching multiple services and he preaches this one sermon and he goes back to the back to kind of greet everybody as they leave. And some guy came up to him and D.L. Moody never told the story of, of what the guy said to him. But some guy said something to him that was apparently got him kind of sideways. And D.L. Moody shoved him downstairs. There was a short flight of stairs, and D.L. Moody shoved the guy. Boom, 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 boom. Not, I'm going to tell you, I kind of like that. kind of like that. I like a preacher that's willing to hurt somebody if they criticize. But, um, so watch out, staff. Sun, next, on Tuesday, don't be talking about, it, about my sermon. Um, and D.L. Moody felt so bad about it, and a bunch of the people were like, hey, there's, people are not going to stay. Because it was while the people were coming in for the second service. They saw him in anger shove a guy down the stairs. And D.L. Moody, first thing he did, he got up to preach, and he says, listen, I need to tell you all something. He said, 
earlier today I sinned by shoving a guy down the stairs in anger. And he says, I just want to confess it. I want to tell you what I did wrong, and I'm so sorry, and I ask God for, to forgive me. And if that man is still in the audience, yeah, right, he probably wasn't. Um, uh, he said, I want him to forgive me too. And they said that was one of, the, one of the most powerful church services that D.L. Moody ever had was after he just confessed. Even though people had already seen it, he confessed and got it off of his chest. Let's keep going. There's two more musts that we need to deal with, and, and these two musts come in the same verse. So they're, all, they're, they're right there together. Um, and these must deal with our relationship. So, so we, we must be born again. doesn't matter what your past is like. You must have Christ lifted up. He's got to be the only way. We've got to look to him and step into that light. And, and then the, the next must is John uh, 3, 28 through 30. It says, you yourselves. Now, this is John the Baptist speaking. Remember, I told you week one, there's two Johns in the story. John the writer and John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. And, and let me just give you a little background. What's happened is Jesus has started, has started baptizing people too. So John, uh, the Baptist is a baptizer. That's where he got his nickname. And then Jesus is now baptizing people. And John's disciples look over and they're like, hey man, there's more people going to Jesus' baptisms than are coming to our baptisms. We used to have a thousand people at our baptisms and now we got 50. And look at Jesus. He's got a thousand people being baptized. And so his disciples are kind of upset. Reminds you a lot of church nowadays, right? That's kind of how we go. And so, so John begins to kind of tell them what's up. And he says, you yourselves know plainly, I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Get ready for the must. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So a couple of things to think about today. In this room, we are either the bride or the best man. We're either the bride or the best man. We're, the one, we're, we're either lost or we're the ones trying to help find the lost. And John the Baptist says, this is, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to point the way to him. It's not about us. It's not about gateway. It's got to be about Jesus. And we're either the bride or we're the best man. Either, either, either we're the ones that he's trying to find or we're the ones that's trying to help him find. And, and so that's what, one of the things we need to see. So let's look at that first must. It says we must become greater and greater. Um, three little points on, on he must become greater and greater. He must become our priority. Luke chapter 10, I, I won't read the whole thing to you, but Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus is going to someone's house, Mary and Martha's house. There's some friends of his. And the Bible says that Mary sat at Jesus's feet and just listened and consumed everything that he had to say. Martha, on the other hand, was so busy getting the house ready and cleaning up and cooking dinner and getting all the snacks ready. And, and, and she gets upset because she goes to Jesus and she says, hey, I'm over here working my tail off. It doesn't say that in the Bible. My translation does. I'm working my tail off and Mary is just sitting around doing nothing. And the Bible says that Jesus, uh, Jesus looks at her in verse 41. It says, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all the details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it won't be taken away from her. Jesus has, how do, how do we make Jesus greater and greater in our life? We make him more and more of a priority in our life. More and more of a priority. And this isn't something that just happens immediately. This is something that we work on. We make him more of a priority. He also must become our foundation. First Corinthians chapter three, verses 10 and 11. It says, because of God's grace on me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. In other words, the foundation of your salvation, it can't be you're saved or you're born again or you're a Christ follower because of guilt and because of shame. Those aren't good foundations. It can't be because you want to feel better. It can't be because you want to have money. And we see people preach this all the time. The prosperity preachers, it's about money and it's about blessings. That can't be the foundation. 
We got some churches that, that, that they're going to they're gonna focus so much on the guilt and the shame side and the fear side. That can't be the foundation. The foundation must be Jesus Christ. And everything we do is built on that. The foundation of this church can't be me. It's got to be him. It can't be our worship. It's got to be him. Everything we do has to be about him. Listen, people can get up and preach and speak and be funny and tell compelling stories and even give you some really good scriptures. But it doesn't mean it's about Jesus. I've heard lots of speakers and they talk a lot about themselves. They talk a lot about other things, but it's always got to come down to Jesus. I've heard a lot of singers get up and sing lots of songs that are good songs and they're catchy and we clap on beat. Well, somebody claps on beat, not necessarily us. But if it's not about Jesus, it's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. He's got to be the foundation for everything that we do. And then he's got to become our goal. Second Corinthians three uh, says this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Here it is. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So three things to become greater for him to become greater and greater. He's got to be our priority. He's got to be our foundation, and he's got to be our ultimate goal. The last must, and we won't say long on this last must, but the last must is I must become less and less. John the Baptist said he's got to be greater and greater. I have to be less and less. I have to be less and less. And the Bible is full of scriptures about humility. Um, I don't have time to give you all of the scriptures on humility. There's a lot of stuff on humility. Um, one of the verses that I did find, and I may have this out of order, Kim, is Proverbs 22, 4. It says, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Um, I love that humility and the fear of the Lord are tied together in that one. Humility and the fear of the Lord. There is another verse though, that I want to give you, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. And Paul kind of talks about this idea of becoming less and less. And he says this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, we talk about working out a lot here because it is a big part of a lot of our lives and exercise. And, and, and one day... Um, I was, I was coaching a, a, a class uh, at the gym, and, and it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and that right there was disciplining myself, right? Like right off the bat. Like that's less and less of myself, and my brain cells weren't working. And, um, and one of the guys uh, here in the church, Cam, uh, we were talking, and, and Cam was talking about doing the workout. And, and, and if the workout required a 50-pound dumbbell, he grabbed a 70. If the workout required a 70-pound sandbag, he grabbed 100 pounds. And I said, I said, now, why are you, why are you doing that? And he said, I want to make myself uncomfortable so I can grow. I want to make myself uncomfortable. I want to put myself in uncomfortable situations. When Paul says this, listen, the the goal of me being less and less is important. I've got to be less and less, but it's going to take work. There's going to be some things I'm going to have to deny myself in order for me to be less and less. There's going to be some areas of life that I'm going to have to acknowledge. I I mean, I'll tell you right now, we had had staff meeting the other day and I I told the guys, I said, I said, last week's message, I said, was probably, and I'm not saying this like to get sympathy. It was my worst. I felt like my worst message ever. I told, I told them, I said, when I came off the stage, I was literally sweating with embarrassment. And I told Nathan, I said, I can't, I said, I can't shake it. And he said, give yourself 90 seconds to grieve a bad message and then move on. And I said, okay, 90 seconds. And then that turned into two days. It took me two days to get over a bad message. Now there's, there's a part of that, that I could just be like, you know what? I don't care about a bad message. They're all good. All, I preach God's word. It's all good. And I could try to promote myself, but I was very honest with the staff. I was very honest with some people. And I just said, look, here's my struggle. Here's my issue. 
Now that went against my flesh, and that was very hard for me to say. But sometimes I have to put myself in an uncomfortable situation, and then I learned, hey, maybe I need to study a little bit better this week. Maybe I need to prepare a little bit more this week. Maybe I need to take a little bit more time in prayer this week. And I started to grow through the week. We need to put ourselves in a less and less situation so that he can be greater and greater, and then we can grow to be more like him. The last thing, and you can go ahead and stand up with me this morning. Verse 34 says this. I I, I just like this. John's talking about Jesus, and it says, For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. And I want to end with this today, because whenever we talk about being born again, we typically talk about Acts chapter 2, Peter's message. And Peter says, you got to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. you got to repent of your sins, uh, plural, right? Specific sins. And he says, and be baptized. But then he doesn't leave it there. And that's where I think a lot of times we, we kind of miss it in life, is we, we stop there. We stop at the believe and the repent, and we forget about the Bible saying you receive the Holy Spirit. For a lot of us, we need to receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if it's theologically correct or not all the time, but there's plenty of times I'll sit down on that front row and I'll say, Holy Spirit, fill me up again. Holy Spirit, fill me up again. Because the Bible says you give the Holy Spirit without limit. You don't stop right here. You just keep pouring out the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you give the Holy Spirit without limit. It's not just for the moment that I stand on the stage. I need the Holy Spirit here on stage, but I need the Holy Spirit Monday morning when I'm talking to my kids. I need the Holy Spirit on Tuesday when I'm going to the doctor. I need the Holy Spirit Wednesday when I'm coaching in a CrossFit class. Like I need the Holy Spirit every single day without limit. So I'm going to keep asking you every day, Holy Spirit, just fill me up. Holy Spirit, fill me up. It's not enough for me to just be cleansed. It's not enough for me to just stand in the light and let some stuff get exposed. I want to be filled up. I don't want to be stuck in a boat with a dead motor and no GPS. I want some direction and I want the power to get me there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He gives us direction and the power to get us there. We're going to pray this morning. And as we pray, I've got some prayer team people that are going to come down to the front. They just want to pray with you. They want to believe with you. They want to agree with you. And and their whole goal today, their whole goal today is to help you get that first touch. Hey, pastor, I'm struggling with something. Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you've never looked on him today. You've never believed. And listen, I promise you, once you believe and you learn how to step into that light, you're going to find some freedom because the Bible says who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so today, that's what these guys are down here for. They're here to listen to you. If you need to tell them something that's going on in your life, they're here to listen. They're not here to talk and gossip and go tell anybody else. They just want to listen to what you got to say and they want to pray with you about it. So I'm going to pray over you real quick, and then I'm going to let you come pray with these guys. Pastor Jonathan's going to sing one more song, and then Lawrence will dismiss us in just a minute. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this room. I thank you for your word. I ask that today it would be seed uh, that would be sown into our life. God, I pray that it would be bread that would be consumed by us. I pray that you would use this word to transform us and change us, just like you did with Nicodemus, and just like you're doing in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen.